Yeah, it seems like all I do anymore are mobile episodes, but that's the way to do it. Doesn't really make a huge difference, as they say. <laughs> I like how you can throw that onto the end of anything, as they say. Because when you say it, <laughs> when you say it, it kind of communicates that somebody does say that. Like, I, I have to remember sometimes that people are way more trusting than you would expect. For, you know, for as much as we see people being mistrusting or distrusting, it's amazing how much people do actually trust each other. As they say. <laughs> But yeah, that's, it's, I, I've joked about it on here before, how it's like I don't take advantage of that enough. But it's almost – I, I, I it, it kind of goes along with what I said a while back where like if you prank people by yourself, you might be sick. Like you might be – that's kind of how serial killers start is they start pranking people by themselves. Because the only thing that makes pranks okay are the fact that you're sharing a laugh with somebody else. At somebody's expense but if you prank people by yourselves there's a good chance you're fucked up I mean yeah there's there's like little pranks like you'd prank your girlfriend and like oh I put the uh, I put the dog toy in the bread box <laughs> you know some stupid shit that couples would do um, there's nothing wrong with uh, nothing wrong with putting the dog toy in, in the bread box as a gag it's just a gag um, a dog toy in the bread box. <laughs> that's the name of my... If I was in some terrible local band. Because that's the embarrassing thing. Like, sometimes you'll meet somebody and they'll be like, Oh, my band's playing on Friday night. And you're like, what's the name of the band? And it's like, we're called Dog Toy in the Bread Box. And, and then somebody, too, who's, like, kind of normal will be like, Oh, that's a crazy name. Oh. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're just like, oh boy. Like when I was in college, I think it was maybe my second year of college, there was this guy in my class. And at my school, you'd break into these smaller groups. Like you'd have the main class, which wasn't that big. You'd have like lecture and all that. And then you'd break off into these smaller groups. I think it was twice a week. And so you got to know the people a little better. I would say definitely less than 30. I would say it was probably 20 people, 30 people sitting in a, in a relatively kind of a conference room and you really get to see people's personalities come up. Like I didn't talk very much. I, I talked only enough to communicate to the teacher that I was participating. I mean, I, I make the joke on here all the time, how in those situations when I would have to introduce myself, I would just say, Eric, no hobbies, no interests. But uh, that's, that was kind of the attitude I took into it. Like, you know, it's not like I was a freak. You know, it's not like I was a quiet freak or anything. Like, I, would, I probably talked more than the average person. But it was one of those things where, like, you got to see other people's personalities emerge socially. Where because they were trapped in this room a couple times a week with these peers, it was really interesting to see who just talked for the sake of talking. And I don't have a problem with that. I'm doing that right now. I don't have a problem. I think, you know, as I get a little bit older... I mind that less. Like I used to mind that a lot more, but you still, you get to see what people, like you get to see what's on people's minds. Like there was this guy in my class who, this does connect to dog toy in the bread box, but there's this guy in my class. I remember he was like this, he looked like, he looked like somebody that's somewhat famous. I'm trying to think of who he looked like. 
<laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't think this is it. I think I'm looking for something else. But the first thing that came to mind is he, he looked like a short, pudgy Kevin Nealon with a full head of hair. I don't know. I think Kevin Nealon has a full head of hair, but, you know, less forehead maybe um, with a goatee, like a full goatee. He did, I don't think he looked anything like Kevin Nealon. I don't know why that came to mind. I just I'm, I'm having trouble coming up with the right face. But anyway, he talked the the whole day, and it was always about his girlfriend. Like you could tell it was probably his first girlfriend, and they lived together, and just be like, "Oh, me and my girlfriend, me and my." And but he, it was funny though, because like his delivery was almost like you could tell he watched Bowling for Columbine a few too many times, and that was a big movie at the time that had come out a couple years earlier. And it came up all the time. I, I'm not just pulling that out. Like people would bring it up in class constantly. People were just, I mean, there was a period of time where, I don't know if you were of age then. And I feel like you couldn't have been too old. Like, I feel like if you're 40 now, you would have missed this. And if you're 30 right now, you would have missed this. So basically, if you were exactly my age, if you were 35, if you're 35 now, like in 2003 or whenever, whatever year that came out, I don't even know what year it was, but let's just say 2004, you couldn't really walk down the street without hearing somebody going like, mm, Bowling for Columbine, Michael Moore. It was, it was seriously constant. And, there, and I think he made another documentary that I never saw about global warning. Glo- we're, we're issuing a global warning, you know. So uh, Bowling for Columbine was just every freaking day it seemed like somebody was talking about it in class and this and that but like you could tell that he had watched it a few too many times because you would watch things a lot of times at that point like that guy probably got a copy of bowling for columbine on dvd in his christmas stocking and watched it like 10 times which is a lot to watch that i mean i remember watching it and liking it i'm not even saying i'm too cool for (laughs) too Too cool for both for Columbine. <laughs> I mean, I feel that way now. You know, I do feel that way now. I don't know why. Like, I don't. I don't even know that I would disagree with the message entirely. But you know, the, the way that Michael Moore narrates that—that's my whole point—is the way that Michael Moore narrates that. You could tell this kid watched that or something, and he picked up. He had that kind of delivery where he would try to joke around about things, but then he would tell these serious stories. And I never forgot this bastard. I never forgot him. And like I, I remember saying something to him once in class, like not even not hostile or anything, but and then he he didn't like it. Like I took the microphone away from him. And uh, but yeah, it was always something about his girlfriend. But then he would he would tell these personal stories, like he told this story, and I still remember it. So this guy was important. It's amazing the people that you remember. I mean, it's like my friend Nick called me. He was on mushrooms, and he said, "Write this down, write this down right now." And I said, "Okay." And he said, "When you're crazy, nobody and no thing is is." too significant to forget or something something to that effect that's not it that's not i I wrote it down i have it somewhere basically he was saying like if you're like us you remember every freaking thing um but anyway so i remember this kid in class his stories and like looking back like he he was a little bit older than i was he was probably like 20 a whopping 20 
but he had this goatee and you know this girlfriend <laughs> he had a goatee i bet he got those at the same time but i bet his goatee got him a girlfriend uh but he would tell these stories, and I remember this one because, like I was saying, he has this kind of Michael Moore. Like he would be joke, he would joke about like, "Oh, my girlfriend did this," and then he would tell us like a serious story where he'd be like, "Yeah, when I was in high school, you know, I used to feel so alienated, and I would just, I would fight with my parents, and I would, I would just go into my bedroom, and I would blast Pink Floyd." And you know, he's like, "I'm really happy now. I have a girlfriend." And a goatee. He did say the girlfriend thing. And you know, I'm 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 feeling good about life now, you know. And he's like, I, I went home to my parents' house for Thanksgiving, and you know, my little brother, there was you know, something happened at dinner and he got upset and he just he, he went to his room and just slammed the door. And I heard Pink Floyd coming out. I heard I heard Pink Floyd coming from the room. He was just like me. You know, it was like that sort of delivery. That story, like I swear, that's almost verbatim. Aside from the part about the goatee, that story was almost, I, I never forgot it. Because I was like, he. on one hand, it was kind of touching because he was telling this, but he's, he's telling his class this. Why? Like there was no, that's what I mean about people. Like you see per, people's personalities emerge. And they're just trying to give their class an impression of them, but he ends up telling this story about how he, how his brother is just like him. I mean, that's like some cat's cradle and the silver spoon. Like, I turned out just like you, Dad. Like, that's some kind of, I don't know. I mean, just in this very like rehearsed delivery. Like, you could tell he took a drama class in high school or something. But the whole reason I started thinking about that was there was a guy in I think. I think it was a different class because I don't think these these guys would have had to share the mic and I don't think they could have done that. So I think this was a different class, but basically the same environment. So it's, you see this over and over again. It wasn't just one class of 20 to 30 people where this happened. And, you know, they encouraged free discussion. You know, they the whole point of breaking off into these discussion groups was to talk about what we read. I mean, you can figure out what these – they called them seminar. Seminar. So you can figure out kind of what these are about, but obviously people used it as an opportunity to just air out whatever was on their minds. So there's this other guy who talked all the time in another class, and he, he was in a band, and I'm guessing it was his first real band, and they played uh, pop punk, like emo pop punk, because I like pop punk. I don't sit around listening to it. I think pop punk is is some of the least worst music you could listen to. It's it's melodic. It's it's memorable. Like it depends on what it is. You know, there's a spectrum to it. It's not like I mean, I grew out of pop punk at like 13 years old, but it was really fucking cool when I was 12 years old. You know what I mean? Like pop punk was really like listening to pop punk with your friends when you're 12 years old. That's, I mean, I I would take one of those days over a lot of the days that I had with better music. You know what I mean? That was a lot more fun. That was a lot more free. So I don't have any beef with pop punk. I want to make that clear. Some people still, you know, because the thing that happens is some, you get into pop punk when you're 12, 13, and then when you're like 14, you, you find out there's real punk. 
and you're on that endless pursuit for jewels. And so you're like, you sharply turn away and you denounce pop punk. That's not real. That's, it's not, it's not real. Punk. You know, it's this bullshit that you put yourself through. Meanwhile, it's way better than whatever it is you're getting into. I feel fortunate my punk phase, like my actual punk phase, where I got some patches, where I was into punk. It felt like it went on forever, but it, looking back, it couldn't have been more than really a year. But at the time, like when you're 14 years old, a year is forever. So for a year, I think I was into all that. And then I, I basically got everything out, out of it that I wanted. This older friend of mine introduced me to Rudimentary Peni. And I was like, what else am I going to find in this music other than that? I'd already gotten into The Misfits, Sam Hain. I was like, what else do I really need from this? You know, I realized that, you know, I was, I was into metal as well. And I realized basically around that time, I discovered that, oh, there are much more raw forms of metal that you can be into much more aggressive forms of metal. So I realized that's, and melodies, I mean, and I was like, I'm looking for music that has melodies, but it's, is raw, you know, that's kind of, and, and in technical death metal, it's not just all about melody. I just, I was, I was opening myself up to a, a different world of music. Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Um, but like when you go through that transition, like, and I saw this play out with all these people. I mean, you still see people, you see people who never outgrew this, where they, they go from being like a pop punk fan. They listen to Blink-182 and who knows who else. And then they get into real punk and they're like, uh, Blink-182 sucks, you know. And I've realized that there are people who never came back around. There are people who never came quite back around. Like I was at a bar about, I mean, it had to be four or five years ago. I think it was right before I quit drinking. And... Uh, I had just seen, like, I was friends with the bartender, and this random, this big, tall, lanky girl randomly sat next to me and was talking to me, and it was really strange, because she got really freaked out by me when I made this joke about robbing banks. It was just some stupid shit. I was just, like, drunk at the bar, and I was like, I just said something stupid, where I was like, yeah, I've had to stop robbing banks, and so I decided to stop wearing a mask around or something stupid. I mean, that wasn't even it, but it was just like something really stupid. And then she she actually got up and walked away and sat like three seats away at the bar. But before that, I'd been I I just found out that the guitarist from Blink One Eight Two is heavily he's he's just gone completely off the deep end into UFO research. I believe he heads some sort of like UFO research institute. Last time I checked. He's got all kinds of, I mean, he's, he doesn't, he doesn't fence sit with conspiracy theories about, you know, the government involvement in aliens. He's just gone all in and it's all, it's kind of like Billy Corgan going all in on pro wrestling. It's interesting to see these guys who were, you know, the, some of the most famous rock stars when I was a kid, what they get into later. And, you know, I respect that. That's way cooler to me than them just continuing to try to be a, a cool relevant musician or an artist i mean i think it's it's way cooler to get sucked into some weird niche that's such a that's a guy thing too you know how often do you hear i mean rose mcgowan she's kind of i don't know she counts i don't know that she has a, a focus i kind of feel like she she gives me sort of a similar vibe but i always knew she was cool 
I, I've always known Rose McGowan is cool. Um, but uh, it is kind of a guy thing, though, to be like a famous celebrity or musician. And just at some point in your career, you're like in your 40s, just to be like, no, you know what? I'm going to buy a pro wrestling league and get really involved. I'm going to obsess over old pro wrestling and I'm going to create this league. And it, or, or just Tom DeLong from Blink-182 just going all in on UFO research, starting his own institute. All he cares about are UFOs. And I even remember way back when there were, there were Blink-182 songs where he references UFOs in the lyrics. So this isn't new, which makes it even better. Like it makes it even better that Tom DeLong, DeLonge, I, I never learned how to say his name. I'm guessing it's DeLong. I'm guessing it's DeLong. Um, but uh, like, so he, I, I know that he's been interested in UFOs for a very long time, which makes it even better that he didn't just randomly get into it. it it's even better that it's kind of like Billy Corgan and pro wrestling where this is something he's been into. And now he's like, you know what? That's actually what I'm going to devote my time to. I relate to that. Not that I relate to being famous, but I, I relate to the idea of just being like, I've had enough of this. Here's a weird thing that draws me in and I'm going to, I'm just going to make my entire life revolve around that, you know, but I see that with guys. Like you see that with male celebrities. I'm trying to think of any time that a female celebrity did that. You know, I'm trying to think of like any time they, they must exist. There must be women celebrities who suddenly are into UFOs. I just can't think of any. Like there's something that happens in a man's brain is what I'm getting at. And clearly something has happened in my brain. But uh, just to get back to the pop punk thing, this guy in my class, <laughs> he uh, <laughs> he was another talker. And he it was just his chance. Like everything – in the same way that other guy was always talking about his girlfriend, this guy was always talking about his band. And his band was called Go Get the Scissors. And dog toy in the bread box made me think of that. Because <laughs> that's every time he said it, that's what it felt like. He would say, oh, we're playing a show. Like he would announce shows in class. Oh, yeah, by the way, we're, we're playing a show this weekend. Oh, you know, band practice. Uh, like Johnny was saying like this. And he told us the story about how his band got named. And I bet this band broke up like six months later. And I bet the band members barely remember this. I bet they're into UFOs. I bet they got abducted by UFOs. But I still remember. I remember too much. It's like my friend Marco wrote this kind of a little zine called I Remember Everything. I like that. I relate to that. I remember too much sometimes. But this guy in the class, he told us the story about how they got the band name. And once again, it was very performative. You know, in the same way that other guy would tell these monologues about his brother and girlfriend and he sounded like Michael Moore, this guy would like kind of give these speeches about his band that were very performative. And he told us the stories like we, we just couldn't figure out a band name. Like all of us had these different ideas and like we were thinking about calling ourselves this and we were thinking about calling ourselves that. And then like, so we decided that like we were going to write a bunch of different band names on pieces of, on slips of paper and put them in a hat and whatever one we drew out we were gonna that was gonna be our band and so we wrote it we wrote all the band names down on a piece of paper 
And then one of us said, go get the scissors. And we go, oh, oh. So they were called go get the scissors and they played kind of the emo style of pop punk, which got me talking about pop punk because that was it kind of a, this is probably 2005. And so that was something, that was an area where things really departed from like, that was kind of when I stopped paying attention to what people were into because the whole emo pop punk thing had been going on and, you know, I, I don't even have any problem with it. I just didn't pay, you know, it doesn't mean anything to me. But it wasn't like this guy was playing in a band that was like just, just playing like really catchy shit. It was when guys started to do really terrible things with their voice. Really, really terrible things with their voices that I don't understand. Because, I mean, pop punk vocals are bad enough. Like, when you think about pop punk vocals and what you're listening to, maybe, my, 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 my. You know, it's like really stupid sounding shit. If you, if, like, imagine hearing those vocals by themselves. Like, I saw a video once, some random video of high, I think it was High on Fire in the studio and it had Matt Pike doing vocals, but like in all you could hear were the vocals and it just sounded so stupid. Like it's, I don't even have any beef with that guy. I don't, I don't have any problem with what he does. He's fine. I don't think I've ever owned a high on fire album, but he's fine. You know, he's obviously, he did his part and you know, whatever. But, uh, but it was just hearing his voice on its own. But when you think about like hearing pop punk vocals, pop punk, you know it's like this just really terrible sounding thing but then like emo pop punk like took that and they they made it more drawn out and i'm not even gonna do it i'm not even gonna try and so this guy had a band like that and then like he had these kind of these guys in class who like were i think they were like local guys who just went to the nearest college they were all nice and everything but they went to his show, and I remember one of them came to class the next Monday wearing the band shirt. He was wearing a shirt that said, go get the scissors, and I was like, whoa. Whoa, he's, he's wearing the band shirt. He's supporting his classmates' band. Like, good for him. That's nice, but kind of amazing. But this guy, he was just, like, you really, I felt like I knew his band. He would talk about the band members. Well, you know, like Phil, our drummer, he he wanted to go get Chinese food before the show. And so, like, he's there and he's got Chinese food. And then, like, Mike, our bass player, is like, well, let's go get Slurpees. You know, that, that was pretty much the gist of every single story. But the thing that was crazy about it is people ate it up. People in the class, like, they ate it up. And it's not like I was sitting there, like, bitterly being like, everyone likes him but not me you know it's not like i felt that way at all it was just a bunch of bullshit but it, what got me is like people ate it up because you could tell that like a lot of those people had never known anybody in a band and he, he you know honestly he was pretty charismatic you know for a guy he, you know he, he was like a he looked like a, a blonde-haired rat who talked like Keanu Reeves. 
and uh, you know, but he, he was pretty charismatic, and so people just were like, "Tell me more about your band," you know, like I've never known anybody in a band. Tell me more about this band, you know. Well, you, you better remember me when you guys get signed, <laughs> you know, because people you can always tell if somebody's never known people in bands. Because one, like when somebody says, like, our band name is Go Get the Scissors. Our band name is Dog Toy in the Bread Box. Someone's like, oh, my God, that's such an outrageous name. It's hilarious. You know, you can always tell somebody's never known musicians if they say shit like that. And, you know, you, you can also t- there's a dog toy. Um, yeah, you, you can tell they've never known them that. Like, I mean, you can basically tell somebody's never known musicians if they're not filled with utter contempt in that situation. And and, the, and they'll say things like, well, you, you better remember me when you guys get signed. When you guys are big. When you guys are big, you better remember that I bought you a band shirt. And we talked about college books in class in the few minutes of the day when you weren't just yapping about your band. You were just yapping about your band. When you guys get signed, you better not forget about me. I'm keeping this shirt. I'm keeping this shirt because you guys are going to be famous. I'm keeping this shirt. (laughs) <laughs> now, you can always tell if somebody's never known like anybody who's played in bands because they eat that shit up. It's like, oh my god, this is it's it's like hanging out with the Beatles before they got famous, you know. And I always find that funny. I always find those situations funny, and I, and I don't say that I'm not trying to be condescending either. I'm just saying it's a reality: is that people who haven't actually known people who even just play instruments and things like that when they're when they're sitting in class with a real live band member, I mean, it's for the same reason that girls like a guy just because he plays in a band. You know, the same reason that a girl will like a guy just because he plays in a band is the same reason my class was just sitting there like, even the professor who was some sort of old man, (laughs) some sort of old man, he, he, he was an old man. He was an old man. But even he, like, you could tell he was like, oh, I've never, I can't believe this. I've never heard of a band. So tell me more. What's this thing that you're, you're in a, a thing called a band? Go get the scissors. Oh, my God. Where'd you come up with that? Where'd you come up with that? But it's funny, like, when someone has the opportunity to talk, like I do. Like, like I mean, you could say the same thing about me just doing this. It's like, oh, shit. The shit that emerges out of my brain for this. It's its like seeing the shit that emerges. I mean, it's like coworkers. It's, you know, anytime somebody's comfortable. And I, I, you know, I don't judge people for just saying what's on their mind. Like I was just, I was saying a few minutes ago, as I get older, I appreciate people who can just talk and have it be polite and gentle. I mean, we're all going to die. <laughs> might as well be nice about things, you know, might as well just kind of listen to each other or tune each other out. I mean, people can get very annoying for sure, but someone who just wants to talk about their band in class, let them. Some guy who just wants to talk about his first girlfriend, let him. But those are those things that you don't even realize how much you say them. Like if you're caught up with something like that, you don't even realize how much you do talk about it.
you notice that with people. You know, I notice it especially with people who have a brand new significant other or anything new to them. I've talked about that before, how it's like when, when you get into something new that you're excited about, you have a tendency just to talk about it all the time. Oh, I started running. Have you heard of running? It's this thing where you move your legs really fast and, uh, it, you know, it, you get in shape and, and it makes you feel good. It kind of clears your mind. And have you ever thought about doing it? You basically start preaching to people. And it goes back to, you know, that saying that I use on here, which is preach what you need. You're really just preaching what you need and you're excited about it. But you don't actually think about how often you're saying it to people. Like, I think we've all had that experience of, like, you say something to somebody, your friend, your family, your significant other, and they're like, you've already told me that 20 times. You already told me that 20 times. You know, the people will say that, and, you're, and you, you go, no, I haven't. Like, I used to get in fights with my mom about that over the years. Like, she would tell me something, and I'd be like, you already told me that. You, know, you already told me that. And, uh, you know, I don't regret it. You know, I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, my God, my mom died. Why did I ever say something mean? You know, that's just life. It's just life. No reason to be upset about it. But that's how you get with people you're comfortable with. When you're comfortable with somebody, they're comfortable saying the same thing to you multiple times. They're comfortable telling you the same story multiple times. And you're comfortable telling them to shut up in different forms, in different words. You already told me that. It's like the fifth time you've told me that. Although that's like in a, in a romantic relationship, that's always a good, <laughs> a good signal that things might be going south. Because like early on in a relationship, like especially if you drink, like when I used to, you know, go on those like first couple dates where you break the ice with alcohol, like not, not get out of control, but just break the ice. You might tell the same story a couple, like twice, and they're like, oh, you told me that. <laughs> no, tell me again. Like if a girl likes you, she's like, no, tell me again. And you've been dating for like a year or two. You told me that. Did you know that you told me that? You committed the crime of telling me that. And I'm the same way. Obviously. I'm the same way. You told me that. But uh, go get the scissors. You know, I actually looked them up at some point. Because they never left my brain. Like if you, if you ask me, what did I learn in college? Well, I learned about this guy and his brother and his girlfriend. I learned about this other guy and his band. And you know what? I joke, but that's learning in my opinion. You know, just by observing people, kind of seeing people's tics, like pee, peeing, seeing people's verbal tics. You know, that's actually one of the reasons you go to college is to kind of see people in the wild. To see how people interface with the world around them. I mean, that was at least a, a part of it for me. And not like I'm some alien. I mean, I'm an, I'm an alien now. But I wasn't an alien yet at the time. And so it's not like I was some inhuman alien. Just studying the humans clinically. 
but just you notice those things. You notice what people say and do, and that should be a learning experience. But yeah, I think I looked up Go Get the Scissors. God, it might even have been more recent than I realize. I mean, it could have been any time in the last 10, 5 years. I think I looked them up and I found their Facebook page or maybe I think it was probably their MySpace page based on when it was. And it didn't seem like they had done anything for a very long time. Like it seemed like they did break up shortly after that. I wonder if I was able to hear them. I feel like I must have heard them at some point. I know that I didn't listen to them at the time. I know that I didn't listen to them back then. But I feel like I did find a MySpace page or something for Go Get the Scissors. I wonder what that guy's doing now. I bet he's got a kid. And he was from a small town. I know this guy's whole life. Uh, he was from a small town outside of Olympia. And it's kind of a hick area. He's from this kind of more rural, smaller town. So that was the other part of everything he talked about was just how much his town sucked and how much everybody was a redneck. It's amazing. That's another thing. Like, it, Along with people talking about Michael Moore, what seemed like every day, seemed like every day you heard somebody talking about Michael Moore. In addition to that, you always heard somebody talking about rednecks. And I think it was Jim Goad or somebody who wrote a book about that in the 90s. I think it was called Something Scapegoat. Redneck scapegoat. I think I'm getting that wrong. But it was basically about that, how it was just, it was casually accepted to just talk shit about rednecks all the time. I mean, a lot of my friends and my humor was based on that. I got along with rednecks too. You know, when, like I've talked about that family that I was close to, they were straight up rednecks and they considered themselves rednecks. But, you know, a lot of our humor was based on hicks. Like, I was a hick for Halloween one year. I wore overalls and a trucker hat. This is probably like 1997, 98. Stupid. Like, not even that funny or anything, but I wore a wig and drew facial hair on. My friend and I made this really fucked up. This is art. This is what I'm about, what I'm about to share with you is actual real art, dark art. My friend and I were making all these prank videos. Like our group of friends, we were making prank videos. And there was one night though where my friend was staying over at my house and we had his video camera and we were like, let's make a movie. And it was improvised. You know, we came up with a basic plot and the plot was, is that I was like, my friend was married and I was his friend and he gets home and I'm in bed with his wife and we set up like pillows in my bed. And I think like, I think I had a mannequin head. And so we put the mannequin head sticking out. And so he gets home and I'm there with his wife. And so there, <laughs> there and, and like I had this big baggy orange shirt and it was a shirt that I wore, which is ridiculous. This big, like went down to my knees and I stuffed pillows in it to be really fat, because I was already fat at the time, so, but I, I wanted to make myself really fat. And then I, yeah, wore a wig and a trucker hat, and I think I drew facial hair on for this too. And uh, it was me vehemently denying that I had been in bed with his wife. Like, no, no, man. 
You're my friend. I would never do that to you. No, I, I didn't do it. I was just stopping by to say hi. You know, it was it was that sort of idea, and then it was him accusing me. And then I think he kills me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know that there was violence. I know there was violence. And keep in mind, this is on an old, this is not a digital camera. This is an analog video camera. This, and it was dark. Like we were filming it at night and it was dark. So I'm sure it was very grainy. I'm sure it was very atmospheric. I'm sure that some film nerd wishes he could, he could capture this atmosphere with his new modern equipment. But we were, it was all we had. So it was this grainy, dark, really fucked up story that these two 13-year-olds, maybe, at the oldest, are filming. And there was a part, though, where... No, you know what? I, I was the guy. I was the husband. That's that, See, that's the missing part of the story. Because in my memory, I knew that I was the one who committed the act of violence against my friend. So I was the husband getting home and like I had a, we had stairs in my house. And so we started it out where I get home and I, you know, it's like, like I'm home, you know? And then I, like, it has me from up above walking up the stairs cause there was a railing. So you cut, you could kind of capture the whole of me walking up. Like there was, a, there was kind of a balcony above the stairway so you could really capture me and like watch me the entire time from up above. And then I get up there and then I catch my friend with my wife. That was what it was. It wasn't me. And I end up killing him. And the, I don't remember what the violence was, but it's, it's basically me being like, ugh. And then there's a scene that we filmed after that. And I think this was the most fucked up part. There's a scene after that where I'm sitting on the bed and we still have the pillows under the bed with the mannequin head sticking out. And my character is going, I just want to know why. I just want to know why. And my friend who's behind the camera, he might have propped it up or something, but either way, he's doing the voice of the wife, but off camera in real time. I mean, we, we couldn't overdub. And so he's he's doing the dialogue and we're improvising the entire time. And then he would he did this high-pitched voice where he's like, You never pay attention to me. And I I wanna run away and be in movies. Like I want I wanna run away and be a, a movie star. You know, just some really typical shitty storyline, but it ended up coming across really dark. Like we felt like we channeled something horrible. And you think about that, like, oh, what are the boys up to? Oh, they got this video camera. They're just they're playing they're playing around with a video camera. You know what you know you know how boys are. It's like the parents watch this video, and it's like this. It's about infidelity, and violence, and a wife who has dreams that are unfulfilled. That's what boys make. But I look back on that. We've talked about it since then, and we're like, that was a fucked up movie. It wasn't even just the plot that was fucked up. It was the whole thing. But it, it kind of revolved around what I was talking about, which is just like rednecks, dude. I would Even if we were just like drawing things. So we, we would draw things to make ourselves laugh. We'd be like, let's draw a hick. Let's draw a redneck. Let's draw white trash. Everybody was really just obsessed with white trash. 
and, and even though things have gone gone in this weird direction with just the way that what's considered an acceptable way to talk about white people in public these days, like even though things have gone in that direction, you don't quite hear the 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 hick stuff quite as much. Like the hick thing has become politicized to where when you do hear it, it's Trump supporting hicks. And I have to say, when when people just called them rednecks, like people didn't typically associate them as much with Republicans. Like when people used to make fun of white trash and rednecks in the 90s, I don't remember there ever being that much of a political element. To be honest, it wasn't until like Michael Moore and people like that. It wasn't until Michael Moore. It wasn't until Michael Moore started talking about rednecks. I don't think he talked about rednecks, but that's around the time that the whole gun thing, I feel like, really ramped up. And for obvious reasons, because Columbine and then other shootings. Because I don't even remember the gun debate being that severe. Like, obviously, there were people who didn't like guns and like guns. But let's say that I, I was fully of age in the early 90s. I turned five in the, in 1990. So let's say like in 1990, I start to pay a little more attention to what's going on in the world around me. Just a little bit by bit, you're a kid. And, you know, I don't remember, like some people, you would hear that some people didn't like guns. You would hear things like that. You would hear that some people liked them. But what's interesting about it is I don't remember it being that politicized. And then it was post-Columbine that you really started to see the gun debate get that much more politicized. And so it used to be people would make fun of rednecks before that for being into guns. They'd be like, oh, they just want their guns and their Budweiser and their, you know, their their uh, pork rinds. But it wasn't very politicized. And the way that people talk about them now is just sort of bundled in with everything else. Rednecks and hicks, I feel like, are bundled in. They're not seen as these slightly... Like the way that people used to talk about rednecks in my experience, coming from the middle class, coming from people where most people's parents I knew were fairly educated, they had decent jobs... The way that I remember people talking about rednecks was like they were slightly uneasy about them. People would reference deliverance. But in you know, in real life, people it's like they, they didn't want to end up in redneck country. They didn't want to have a problem with a redneck. You know, they didn't want to spill their drink on a redneck at the county fair because you might start a fight. So there was this like kind of uneasiness, but people weren't scared of them. But they might say, like, oh, you just don't try to take their guns away. Oh, you don't, you don't want to get between these hicks and their guns. You'd hear things like that. But then at some point, like, the gun thing became that much more politicized. The race thing took a whole other different direction. And then it was like, no, 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 these people are a problem. But then that shifted to something else entirely. Like what we have now is an entirely different discussion and I won't get into it. But uh, this kid in college with his band, you could tell like his story. And you and that's the thing too, his story. Everyone's got to have a story. And his story was that he grew up in a redneck town 
And he's making something of himself by being in a band. And you'd hear bands tell that same story over and over again. A lot of pop punk bands, for that matter. Be like, well, we, we just lived in this small town and all the rednecks hated us. The, redne- the jocks and the rednecks used to kick our asses. People would say that, like, how many people actually got their asses kicked? The number of people from that time period who used to say that the jocks and the rednecks would kick their asses, did they actually physically assault you? Like, I know kids used to fight more. Kids definitely used to fight more. But I'm wondering if these guys, like, was there one time? Was it about you being, you know, because I believe that stuff happened. I, I, You know, I would never say that, that stuff didn't happen at all. But it's like so many people say that. So many people share that same story. Oh, the rednecks and the jocks, they used to kick our asses, dude. Like, how bad? I'm actually genuinely interested. I don't know that many people who have straight up gotten their asses kicked, let alone all the time. And I know a bunch of people who, like some of my friends, piss people off. A lot of my friends growing up were the type of people who might piss someone off. And I, I know almost nobody who got their asses, like, actually kicked. Yeah, maybe a little altercation. But it's just, I, I would hear all these stories from bands, from... I mean, but it goes back to the thing I, I've mentioned on here before, where you just need to have an adversity story. It's the American Idol effect. But this is even before American Idol. This is when this really started to become popular. It was when you would see celebrities say, like, I was a loser. I was a nerd in high school. I was just a nerd. And then you find out they were a captain of the football team. They were head cheerleader. I always pick on Jennifer Aniston, and I don't know if it's, if it's even true. For whatever reason, I associate this with Jennifer Aniston. But at some point, I feel like I heard somebody like that. And it might have been Jennifer Aniston say, oh, you know, when I was in high school, I was so ugly. I was such a nerd. Everybody hated me. And then, like, it showed her high school yearbook photo and, like, just as beautiful, like, voted most popular. Somebody could probably disprove that. It's probably somebody else, but let's go with Jennifer Aniston. You know, it's that sort of thing. You're like, well, wait a second. I understand that maybe you were insecure and in your head, like, in your head you weren't popular. In your head, you weren't beautiful. But it's also just this adversity story. And bands did that a lot. Uh, we just, we're just we just a, a pop punk band in this redneck town, dude. And like, dude, the fucking jocks and the rednecks. They fucking kicked our asses, dude. Dude, I grew up getting my ass kicked by fucking jocks and rednecks, dude. You, and like you would run across guys like that. Like when I got into music, you'd hear guys talk like that too. Like during my brief flirtation with punk, and I have a friend like who actually when last time I ranted about this, I have a friend who's like older than I am, and I think he got into punk in the eighties. And he said that he got I don't know that he got shit for being a punk, but he talked about jocks shoving him around. So I'm not I'm not saying this didn't happen. I, the, that sort of stereotype of the jock picking on the nerd exists. But so many of people's experiences like that come from just watching it on TV. They kind of retcon their own lives because I've known people who have done this. And I think part of it is that need to have an adversity story to be like, man, it was it was hard to be me. 
God, dude, like, you don't even know. It was so hard to be me. Because the jocks and the rednecks, the rednecks would drive by in their trucks and they would call me a They would yell out the window at me, dude. That's why I'm playing in Go Get the Scissors. That's why I named my band Dog Toy in the Bread Box. Because all the rednecks in my hometown hated me. You know what? That actually makes sense. If you're the kind of person who is still hung up on fake rednecks that didn't even exist, harassing you in your hometown, you probably are the kind of guy who's going to start a band called Dog Toy in the Bread Box. Hey.